And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all come with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as fire, it sat on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. I do not know why that is so hard to understand. Verse 7, And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how, we, how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we are born? Verse 9, 10, and 11, and all them other places. Don't laugh. You can't pronounce them either, all right? Verse number 12, and when them people from all the other places, verse 12, they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. Here's my text. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice. And I want to preach this morning out of this text for just a few moments. I'll lay some groundwork. But I, I want to preach this morning on the definition of old-fashioned preaching. The definition of old-fashioned preaching. When we come to Acts chapter number 2, and verse, by way of introduction, verse number 1, we find the congregating of the saints. We find that the day of Pentecost had fully come. Pentecost was a day. One day. I want to emphasize that. It was a day. It was 50 days. It was a feast that was held 50 days after the Passover. One man said Pentecost was not meant to be a denomination, but rather a day. It was it was 50 days after the uh, day of, uh, after the Passover, and when it was fully come, they would have a feast celebrating that Passover once again. And the Bible said they were all together in one place. We know from looking back in Acts chapter number one uh, that the disciples were there in the upper room with the 120. They had congregated together. Then there is the coming of the Spirit in verse two and verse number three. The Lord had told them that they needed to wait in Jerusalem until they would be endued with power from the Holy Ghost. Then they would go out into Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But He did not want them to go preach without His power. And I want to say this, I don't want to be involved in anything without the approval and the touch of God. Amen. Somebody said, I want God to do what I'm blessing. Well, I'd rather do what God is blessing. Amen. And get involved in that. And so that's the coming of the Spirit. And then verses 4 through 11, there is the conversation of their speech. I preached on this before. In fact, it was a year ago on Mother's Day last year, on Mother's Day Sunday night, I preached a message. Ain't it interesting? I preached on speaking in tongues on Mother's Day. Uh, but I, I, de- I took on a Sunday night and I preached about what that meant. We understand uh, that was not a gibberish. It was not uh, anything like that. But rather, uh, the men spoke in their native tongue and all those people from other nations, they understood in their language. That was the miracle. Why did God do that then? I'll tell you. 
you why. There was not a full canon of the Scriptures. But then when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part shall be done away with. And aren't you glad that we have the full canon of the Scriptures of the Word of God? Amen. We're not in the dark anymore. We're not wondering, oh, what does God think? One man said the Bible is the mind of God. And so when we open up the Bible, we can see what God is thinking about. Amen. I like that. And so these men uh, were preaching. That was the ama- I could preach on all this. I don't want to take all the time. But verse 7, they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we are born? They said, man, Peter's preaching that Galilean language. Uh, but we understand. We understand what they're saying. It was God doing a special thing on that day. There is the conclusion of the sinners in verses 12 and 13. Uh, they look at these men, they look at these apostles, and they said they must be drunk on new wine. They must be, uh, dr- no, they wasn't drunk. They were filled with the Spirit. Amen. The Bible said be not drunk with wine uh, where it's excess, but be filled with the Spirit of God. And that leads me to my thought in verse number 14. There is the conveyed sermon. You see, as I mentioned a moment ago, there's a lot of things I skipped there. That's not where my burden's at. I want to give you the burden of my heart this morning. Uh, but when Peter stands up in this text, we understand this is 50 days after Passover. 50 days after Passover. What was Passover? What took place on Passover? Calvary. The Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, and three days later He was resurrected again. And I thank God for that. And so here's what we have in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 36 in the sermon of Peter. Here's what we have. We have the first recorded sermon after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have the first recorded message. I'm not saying there wasn't other messages preached, but this is the first recorded message. This is the first recorded sermon since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we tout around here that we're an old-fashioned church, amen, and we don't apologize for that. Somebody said, well, does that mean you're stuck in the 60s or the 70s? No, we're stuck in about 2000 A.D., amen. Uh, we're stuck in Acts chapter number 2 is where we're at, amen. And, and, if, and if we believe in that principle, of first mention, and we believe the first time that something is done in the Word of God means something, then I think it would do us well to look at the first sermon that was preached after the resurrection of Jesus Christ and see what New Testament preaching, see what Old Testament preaching ought to be like. Amen. I don't know about you, but I desire to walk in truth and to walk in the light of the Word of God and to do things the way God wants it done. So let's look at this message. Three things about Peter's message this morning that I want to give you. First of all, what did Peter have? What did this old-fashioned preaching have? Number one, explanation. He had explanation. He explained some things. And this speaks of the clarity of our preaching. Notice what Peter did. First of all, he explained the the people in verse 14 and 15. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing, but it is the third hour of the day. There's a little bit of confusion going on these people had uh, because of these apostles, because of this 120. They're 
little confused. You know what God did uh, when there was confusion? He raised up a preacher with a message from God uh, to give an explanation and to give some clarity. Amen. Uh, that's why we need to be clear in our preaching. Amen. He explained the people. He explained what's going on. I tell you, it's a sad thing uh, when you go to a church and you hear a man preach for 45 minutes and you walk out and you don't know one thing that he said. You don't know one thing he believes. I mean, it's amazing. Some guys can preach for an hour and almost say something. They don't give any clarity. I mean, I've been to the meetings. I've heard them preach. And you walk out and you're confused. A termite and a yo-yo. Uh, you don't know which way's up and which way's down. I'll tell you, that's not what preaching ought to be. I'll tell you, when you walk out the doors, you ought to know. You may not understand everything the preacher said, uh, but you ought to have a good idea what he meant. Amen. I tell you, there's times where, where a man of God will preach a message and maybe there's one point, uh, maybe there's a particular scripture, maybe there's a particular thought that he gave you uh, that sticks with you more than other. But at the end of the day, you ought to have clarity about the Word of God and about the things going on when a man of God gets done preaching. He explained the people in verse 14 and 15. I love this. He explained the passage. Look at verse 16. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. You know what Paul, what Peter did when he began to explain, when he began to preach? He went back to the Scriptures. He went back to the prophet Joel. He began to give them the Word of God. Peter didn't get up and say, no, this is my opinion. This is what I think. Oh, this is what I believe it says. No, no, no. Peter did not do that. Oh, he went back to the prophet Joel. And so you remember, and they knew what Joel said. He said, you remember what Joel said? This is that. He preached the Word of God to them. May I remind you of the, of the charge that Paul gave to Timothy. He said, preach the Word. Oh, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine for the time will come. And by the way, the time has come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They never did enjoy it. They just endured it. But now they won't even endure it anymore. You know what they'll do? They'll heap themselves. Uh, they'll, they'll, they will, but after their own lust, they will heap themselves. Teachers having itching ears. You know what them preachers are? Tell us what you want to hear. Now, I do Bible questions during Sunday school. Uh, what are you studying? Do you have a question about the Bible? Uh, was, there a, was there a subject you'd like me to maybe try to help you along? I'm not, but I'll tell you, when it comes to the Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night preaching service, uh, I'm not putting back a notepad out there saying, what do you want me to preach on? You know, it's amazing. We won't put the sin we're struggling with on that paper. Amen. We won't say, preacher, I, I'm a liar, and I want you to preach a sermon online. No, we want to pick the sins of all everybody else that we're not doing. Amen. But when we preach that Word verse by verse and line upon line and precept upon precept, it gets all of us eventually. We are to preach not about the Word, not around the Word, but preach the Word of God. Why would we want to add anything to what God has said? He's already said enough. Oh, what He said is true. And what He said is right. And what He says is eternal. And I'll tell you something, honey, the grass withers and the flower thereof will fade away. Oh, but thank God the Word of the Lord endures forever. And it is my job, it is my mandate to preach the Word of God. There's a lot of churches, they'll move the pulpit out of the way and they'll have skits and they'll have plays and they'll have dramas. I don't know why a church want to have a drama team. We already got enough dramas in churches anyway. 
Amen. And they want to have an illustrative thing and they want to dress somebody up like Jesus and try to illustrate a point. Ain't it terrible? Peter didn't have any of that on the day of Pentecost. He didn't have a PowerPoint. Uh, he didn't have any kind of fancy illustration. He just simply got up and said, this is what the book says. Amen. I tell you, that's what old-fashioned preaching is. It's just getting back to telling people what the Bible says. Amen. Hey, what a privilege we have as men of God and as Sunday school teachers and the people of God uh, to preach the Word of God and to teach God's Word and say, what does saith the Lord? I try to be what is called an expository preacher, not suppository. Somebody help me. I've heard that kind of preaching too. An expository, meaning preaching through a text. Line upon line, walking through the verses, pulling out truths. And you know why? Because at the end of the day, God wrote the Bible in order for a reason. He wants it to be read and studied that way. I tell you, these birds that get up and just grab a verse here and run the left field, and, and you know what they do? They take a verse and they say, I'm going to preach from this verse. And that's exactly what they do. They preach as far from it as they can. That's not right. That's not preaching. Amen. They might have the title of preacher, but that's not preaching. I, I preach topical sermons. What I preached last Sunday night I was more of a topical sermon, preaching through the life of Job. Uh, but I'll tell you, I had Scripture to back up what I was saying, and I didn't take it out of context. I'll tell you, that's what Peter did. He explained the people, and he explained the passage. But then he explained the prophecy. Verses number, uh, watch this, verse number 17 through 21. And it shall come to pass in the last days. Now he's quoting the prophet Joel. Saith God, I will pour my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaids I will pour out in those days my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into the blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now Peter was not preaching that the day of Pentecost was a fulfillment of Joel 2. It was a partial fulfillment. What was the partial fulfillment? The Spirit had come. The rest of that was going to take place during the tribulation period. The moon will turn to blood, and those things will happen. But Peter said, oh, we're seeing it. Amen. Peter said, do you see it? The Bible is opening up. The Bible's alive. It's coming up. We're see- Amen. We're seeing it take place. Oh, I want to remind you, church, this is a living book. Honey, look around for 30 seconds, and you'll see this Bible coming alive. Think it's more up to date in tomorrow's newspaper. And Peter got up and explained with clarity what the book said. Preach the Word. Explanation. His message was the fulfillment in this particular text was the comforter that our Lord spoke about. He's here. Oh, spread the tiding round wherever men are found. The comforter has come. That's what Peter is preaching. I'm going to tell you what we need to preach. We need, when we preach, there needs to be explanation. There needs to be clarity. Amen. Here's the second thing about Peter's preaching. Not only was there explanation that speaks of the clarity of our preaching, but there was exaltation, which speaks of the Christ of our preaching. 
Look at verse number 22 through verse 36 where we'll find this. He began to point them back to Jesus Christ. And by the way, all preaching ought to point back to Jesus. Amen. All, even if we're in the Old Testament, if we're preaching on sin, we're using an Old Testament example of what sin does. At the end of that message, we're going to say, but you can get that sin right by coming to Jesus. Everything ought to go back to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Peter did. He preached about the reputation of Christ in verse 22. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by Him in the midst of you as ye yourselves know. You know what He did? He began to point them to Jesus and His reputation. That word approved means to point out, to show forth, to expose in view. In other words, He said Jesus was exactly who He said He was and He proved it. He proved his humanity. He was born in a stable, raised in a common home, son of a carpenter. He hungered in John 4. He thirsted in John... He hungered in Matthew 4. He thirsted in John 4. He was weary. He went to sleep on that boat in Mark 4. He was human. He was he was humanity. All but at the same time, he was God. Uh, for uh, he did no, did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth. Yes, he was slept on that boat that night in Mark 4. Uh, but when the storm got to raging, he arose and he calmed that storm. Uh, yes, he hungered in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4 when the devil tempted him, uh, but he defeated him uh, by the power of the Word of God. Well, amen. I'm glad he was man, but he was God. Somebody said uh, that when Jesus came to Bethlehem, uh, that he laid aside his deity and he put on humanity. No, he didn't, honey. He never stopped being God. He never stopped being the Son of God. He simply wrapped himself in flesh. And up there on Mount Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John, and the two bad boys from the old team, Moses and Elijah, he unveiled his glory and they saw him for who he was. He never stopped being God. And he'll never stop being God. Yeah, he was a man in the fact that He was crucified and that He died. But He was God in the fact that on resurrection morning, He got up and He rose again on the third day. He talks about the reputation of Christ. Then He talks about the rejection of Christ. Look at verse 23. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Peter states the fact that even though he was sinless and holy, yet he was still betrayed and condemned to death. And don't that little phrase scare you, the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God. Don't let that bother you. That just means that before eternity began that God had a meeting with Himself. Amen. And God met with Himself. And, the, and God had a people. We are we're not the people of Jesus. We're the people of God. Amen. And then the Lord Jesus Christ, He would have a Calvary ministry. Amen. He would oversee a church. And the Holy Spirit, He would oversee a bride. And He would oversee a book. Amen. Oh, there's a whole lot of preaching I could go through right there, but that's not where I'm at this morning. In other words, here's my, my point that I want to make out of that verse. It was determined before eternity began that Jesus Christ would be the sinless sacrifice of the world. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to really blow your mind right here. That all happened before Genesis 1-1. Adam don't show up till Genesis 2-7. He don't fall till Genesis 3. But long before any of that ever happened, 
God had already decreed that His Son, Jesus Christ, would be crucified for the sins of the world. Did God make Adam and Eve sin? Absolutely not. But He knew that they would sin. And instead of leaving them in that sinless state, honey, long before there was ever a sinner, there was a sacrifice for that sin. Long before there was ever condemnation in hell for eternity, there was salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And long before there was ever a devil, there was the Son of God who was already determined to bleed and die for our sins. Ain't nothing caught God by surprise. This world and the mess it's in right now ain't caught God by surprise. May I remind you that the church is not America. Hello? Somebody help me. Hey, there's, there's people a part of the church in India and in the Philippines and in other parts of the world. Uh, yes, there are, there are Christians in America, but there's just as many Christians in other nations, if not more. And we think, well, the Lord must be coming back. Things are looking bad in America. I'm telling you, I don't look at signs. I don't look at newspapers. I don't look at Fox News or Newsmax uh, to base the fact whether I know Jesus is coming or not. I look in the Word of God. Hey, you want to get discouraged? You look at America. You want to get encouraged? You look at Israel, because that's where God's got His focus at. Amen. How'd I get on all that? You don't know, because I don't even know. But he's preaching about Christ, the reputation of Christ, the rejection of Christ. But then he talks about the resurrection of Christ. Look at verse 24. See verse 22. Notice what he said. Let me go back to this, this rejection. He said, Ye have taken Him. Did you know that Peter could preach that sermon to anybody? And it'd be right... Now, in the context, he's preaching to those people at the time, Brother David, that literally condemned the Lord of death. They said, crucify Him. Let His blood be upon us and our children. But this morning, reading that verse, we took Him. And we crucified Him. Because it was our sin that put Him on the cross. The prophet Isaiah said, Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He talked about the reputation of Christ, the rejection of Christ. But then He talked about the resurrection of Christ. Verse 24 Watch your Bible now. We're just walking through this chapter, all right? Whom did whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible uh, that he should have been holding of it. In verse 24, you see the power of the resurrection. I love what it says. It was not possible uh, that he should be holding of it. Oh, death had his hold on Jesus as long as Jesus said death could have his hold on him. Because it was not possible uh, for the grave. Oh, Pilate sealed that tomb and even put the soldiers out there. And they said, make it as sure as you can. But it was not possible uh, to keep him in the grave. How are you going to keep down uh, the resurrection and the life? How are you going to keep down the God of all eternity in the bodily form of the Lord Jesus Christ? It was not possible for him to stay dead. 
That's the power of the resurrection. And by the way, because He lives, we too shall live also. And our loved ones who died in the Lord, that are saved by the grace of God, uh, that we planted in the cemetery, it is not possible uh, that death can hold on them forever. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall all be changed in the moment. And the twinkle of an eye, at the, and, uh, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Uh, but thanks be to God uh, that gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Then, I, then the Lord shall ascend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. I'm glad the cemetery is not the end, friend. Hey, we followed Cassius to the cemetery, but it was not goodbye. If those people knew the Lord, and they were saved by the grace of God, it was just I'll meet you in the morning. Of their souls in heaven already with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Oh, but when the rapture takes place, oh, their bodies will be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. No more walkers, no more wheelchairs, oh, no more oh, physical infirmities, no more bad eyesight, no more cancer, no more diabetes. They'll have a body made like to the Lord Jesus. And I'm glad I'll be in that number. Amen. The resurrection of Christ. He talked about the power. He talks about the promise of the resurrection. Verse 25 through 28. He's, he's, Peter is quoting Psalm 16, 8 through 11. For David speaking concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I shall not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will thou suffer thy holy one see corruption. Thou hast made me known the ways of life, and thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Now, when he says in that text, Thou shalt not leave my soul in hell, Jesus was not burning in hell. No, not at all. We understand that Old Testament dispensation, uh, that, that man could not go to heaven because there was no blood on the altar. And so there was hell on one side, and there was a great gulf, and paradise. Abraham's bosom was on the other side. It was the place of the dead. Oh, but when Jesus rose, He went down, and He led captivity captive, and God did not leave His soul in hell. Oh, but He walked into heaven, and amen, because the blood had been applied. Do you realize that the first man uh, that died in human history, Abel, he died at the hands of Cain. He walked into heaven of the same day that thief on the cross that trusted on Him as the last person that got saved on that side of the Old Testament. He trusted in the Lord and they walked in together in that heavenly city. Amen. The prophecy, the promise, the proof of the resurrection. Verse 29, i got to hurry. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried in the sepulchre with us to this day. He said David wasn't talking about himself in Psalm 16. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with him an oath that of the fruit of his loins according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. That leads us to the royalty of Christ. Verse 31 through 36. He says, he says, he seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, wherefore we are all witnesses, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received the Father of the, received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he had shed forth this, which you now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make my enemies thy footstool. There 
Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this same that same Jesus, whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. Have you made Him Lord yet? No, and you ain't either. God done did that. Got quiet right there. I know I'm running quick, but y'all don't want to be here all day, and I don't want to be here all day. We can submit to His Lordship, or you can reject it. Here's how I deal with Lordship. A woman is commanded in Ephesians 5 to submit to her husband. Said the man, don't have a wife or a girlfriend. And that's a command, right? Now, if she don't submit to her husband, does that mean she ain't married? No, it just means she's not living obedient to the Scripture. Well, the Lord is Lord. If you don't submit to Him and obey Him, that don't mean you ain't saved. That just means you're living disobedient. He's going to take you to the woodshed according to Hebrews 12. Yeah. Amen, that's right. I don't, know why, I don't know why preachers complicate it so much. It ain't that hard. <laughs> preacher, I wonder what this means. It means what it says there, Bubba. <laughs> Amen. So, what is preaching supposed to have? Explanation. I don't have clarity to it. You ought to know what a man's saying. Preaching ought to have exaltation. Speaks of the Christ of our message. But lastly, and I gotta preach this point in three minutes. It ain't gonna happen, alright? But I'm gonna get it out. Preaching ought to have an expectation. That speaks of the choice of the message. In other words, what are you gonna do with what's preached? What are you gonna do with what's said? Don't tell Brother Langston. What are you gonna do with what's said? Notice the response, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now the word conviction is not in the Bible. But this word pricked is a good word for conviction. It means they found themselves guilty. Peter said, you're guilty. And they're like, yeah, we're guilty. What are we going to do? You know, you have a choice. You can reject the preacher or you can respond to the preaching. There is, the, there is the response, but then notice the repentance, verse 38 through 40. Then said Peter unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, and all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from this untoward generation. Now I'm going to be honest with you, Acts 2.38 has birth denominations. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. And it's one of them verses that makes you scratch your head. Well, it makes me scratch my head. Because I know what's right. But I also can read. Anybody else ever struggle with that verse? I've heard preachers trip over themselves trying to explain that verse and can't do it. Well, here's, here's my thought this morning. You know, let's deal with the first part of that verse. He said, repent. That repent means a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. Jesus said, Nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. You, nobody's going to get saved if they don't repent. So repentance is involved. I said, Preacher, what about that though? And be baptized for the remission of sins. Well, think about this. Did you know, and I've said this before, one verse in the Bible can stand by itself. Amen? But you know it don't have to? God wrote a Bible for a purpose, for a whole. 
We know there's no other place in the Bible. A lot of people take the, 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 a lot of denominations, they'll take Acts 2.38, uh, they'll take Matthew 28, they'll take Mark 16 and teach baptismal regeneration. Meaning that you gotta trust Christ and then you gotta be baptized in order to be saved and they'll use these verses. Here's my problem. Paul said, not of words as any man should boast. Somebody said, well I believe you gotta be baptized in order to be saved. Okay, you just put everybody in the Old Testament in hell. David, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Adam, Noah, Isaiah, all them guys, they're in hell. Congratulations, you did it. Because they were not baptized. Everybody in Hebrews 11, they're in hell. Yeah. So, so I said, preacher, what does that mean? Well, look at the wording. Look at the wording. Acts 2.38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Say you walk into a post office. I read this in Warren Wiersbe's book. Say you walked in a post office and you saw on the wall a poster of a man who was wanted. And it said, John Doe, wanted for murder. Is that sign indicating that they're wanting that man so he can go murder somebody? No. It's not saying wanted so he can go murder somebody. He's wanted for murder. He's wanted because he's already committed murder. For. So the baptism is not a part of salvation. It is as a result of the repentance and the conversion. Nowhere else in the book of Acts when Peter preaches the gospel and people ask him how to be saved as he mentioned baptism. Look at Acts chapter 3, verse 19. One chapter later. Here's what he says. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out of when the times refreshed shall come from the presence of the Lord. If baptism was necessary for salvation, then Peter would have mentioned it every time he preached it. He wouldn't have just mentioned it in Acts 2. He would have mentioned it every time. Paul would have, Here's what Paul said. Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach. So you tell me that every convert of the apostle Paul went to hell because Paul didn't baptize him? You're going to put Timothy in hell? Philemon? Epaphroditus? Onesimus was that slave. I'll get him right in a minute. Here's what I'm, I could have said Papadosh. He's like, yeah, that's him. <laughs> baptism ain't here's what Here's the thought. If, if baptism was necessary for salvation, the thief on the cross is in hell. If baptism was necessary for salvation, Old Testament saints as Abraham, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Samuel, David, Elijah, Jeremiah, Isaiah, they're in hell. And if baptism was necessary for salvation, then our Bible is full of errors. But it's not. It's not. What is baptism? Baptism is a result of a conversion. It is a public, a public identification that you've been born again. I wear this wet. I got a new wedding ring. This is my papa's. My my grandma get this is my papa's fortieth wedding anniversary ring. She gave it to him a few weeks ago. You know why I wear this ring to identify that I belong to somebody. But if I don't have it on, that don't mean I'm not married. It just means I'm not identified. That's what baptism is. It's publicly identifying I've gave my heart to Jesus Christ. And when you're baptized, you're joining, you're joining that local assembly. You're baptized into that local church. That's why I got a problem with these guys setting up tents and having big tent crusades and then baptizing people and they ain't joining no church. They ain't biblically right. Because after they were baptized, they were added to the church. Amen. There's the reset. Uh, but but what I want to emphasize in Acts 2.38, everybody wants to emphasize the baptism in Acts 2.38. 
But the first word is repent. Nobody's going to get saved till they repent. You don't repent of what you do, you repent of what you are. A sinner. There's, there's the repentance, there's the, res, there's the response, but then there's the reception, verse 41. Then they that glad received his word were baptized. The same day there were added to the church, unto them, about 3,000 souls. They repented, and because they repented, but the fact that they were baptized and added to that church. So everybody wants to emphasize baptism, and nobody wants to emphasize repentance. Vance Haddon says, nobody goes to heaven walking towards hell. You've got to repent. Amen. Come to Christ. In closing this morning, I'm at 35 minutes. I'm done. I preached Simon Peter's sermon. It took me four minutes to read the sermon. It took me 35 minutes to preach this sermon. Ain't that horrible? <laughs> Here's my point this morning. What Peter's preaching gives us is an example of what our preaching ought to be like. We ought to have clarity, explanation. Here's what the Word of God says. We ought to exalt Jesus Christ in our preaching. Lift Jesus up. But at the end of the message... My two jobs done. That's my two jobs. There's an expectation. You've got a choice. How are you going to respond to that preaching? Everybody didn't get saved in Acts 2. Only the ones that repented got saved. And there are people, and I'm done. There are people, come on, Brother Matthew, that come to this church every week, come to revival meetings, and they hear preaching, but they never respond to it. They never... Hey, I'll say this this morning... What if them old, you know, we talk about being an old-fashioned church, and we are. I'll tell you what them old-fashioned churches would do. At the invitation, the preacher would walk around and shake people's hands and say, Has the Lord spoken to you today? Ooh, we don't do that now. Why? We don't want to offend nobody. Some of y'all scared I'm going to do that this morning. Preacher walk up. Sir, is it well with your soul? Are you saved? That's what Peter's did. Peter preached the message. There's an expectation. What if I was to go around this morning and look at you in the eyes and say, have you trusted Christ? Are you born again? Could you give me an honest answer? There's an expectation of preaching. You're to respond. Preaching is not entertainment. It's become entertainment. But it's not to be entertainment. There's a difference. As a preacher, I'm to be apt to teach. That's one of my qualifications. And I can do that. But preaching is is. Declaring what God said and demanding a response from you. How are you going to respond to what's been preached? Are you born again today? Have you been saved? Let's stand. Acts 2, Peter's sermon is a definition of old-fashioned preaching and what it all looked like. If I was to go around this room this morning, take you by...